shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. All right, guys, welcome back to Shit Show Saturday. We have Shit Show Eileen. Welcome. Hello. Yeah. Buckle up. We're going to get it all out of you. Let's do it. Song. Song. The Power by Snap. I'm into it. That's my (laughs) warm up for my workout. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Every day? No, not not every day. Just whenever I get carbohydrate. Mac and cheese. What homemade box? I get the organic brand from Aldi is my go-to. Mm, it's good. Yeah, really good. But like the the cheese sauce, the cream or the creamy sauce, you know, not the like, powder. Oh, not the powder. I'm kind of into the powder. I had some craft recently and I was like, damn, this shit's good. <laughs> yeah. craft Easy Mac is always really good. Cheese. Cheese. I would say like a sharp white cheddar. Nice condiment i make a homemade honey mustard that i really like oh what's the recipe just mayo dijon mustard honey and a little sprinkle of paprika i love a good honey mustard what are you using that on chicken nuggets i eat a lot of kids foods these days chicken nuggets Do you have an air fryer i don't you need to get one because that'll make the best chicken nuggets Okay. It will like really fry it like a real fryer, but it's healthier. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. I've had air fried stuff. It is really good. I highly recommend the Ninja Foodie, which okay. does everything. Okay. What do you like cook in the air fryer? Honestly, I'll cook steak in it. Oh, okay. And it's not like fried. It's like cooked, you know, like grilled almost. Yeah. I get the Arby's curly fries. They sell the frozen ones at the grocery store. I'll do that. Fried zucchini. And the chicken nuggets, the, I get the popcorn chicken. Oh, okay. Yeah, those are good. Okay. So yeah, my little, I haven't been using it, but I like that because it's everything. Like it's, you don't, it's like a slow cooker, pressure cooker. It has all the things. So you only need just the thing on the thing. Okay. See, I have a pressure cooker and I do use that quite a bit, but yeah, that's cool. That I, it it's like 180 hundreds. bucks. It's totally worth it. I'm telling you easy cleanup does it all. Okay. I think if you have a kid, air fryer is the way to go. Yeah. And it's healthy too, right? Because you don't have to do it in any no oil. oil. Okay. Awesome. So I realized that I haven't been asked for a good shit show story. So just prepare yourself because I will be asking for that. Okay. I have oh. a feeling that you have plenty. Okay. I have to go back in the memory log. You know, some of those are a little bit fuzzy, but I can definitely pull up some good ones. Yeah. I'm sure you can. When did you find out that you were an adult child? Two months ago. Through me? Yes. How'd you find me? I had been listening to a parenting podcast by Janet Lansbury. She's really into like gentle, peaceful parenting. And I heard Alwyn on one of her episodes. And that was like a huge breakthrough for me. And that was like a year ago. And then I had started over the past, like at the beginning of this summer, I was learning about CPTSD, emotional flashbacks, and I was just really struggling with parenting. So I was like, what's Alwyn been up to? And I did a search for that and I listened to your show. Then I listened to a couple more and was just like, this is what I've been looking for. This is the answer. I was on her podcast too. Did you know she had a podcast? Yes. And I've listened to a couple of her episodes. I'll have to check out the one with you. That's cool. Yeah. Her story is heavy. Yeah. She's a cool lady and she's just her bravery to come out and just say the shit that she said 
it was everything I was experiencing and I felt terrified of myself. So to know that somebody else was going through it. Yeah. She like really saved my life. I feel like. That's amazing. Yeah. I'll put her episode in the show notes. She just, for people that who may not have listened to it, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, she just gets really real about Mm -hmm. her struggles parenting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, super brave. Okay. So prior to that, what was your understanding of your family? Like you knew you grew up in an alcoholic family or what is your breed of dysfunction? So I grew up in a family that just raising children, you did it with a lot of shame and criticism, very unloving family. My mom became an alcoholic more like when we were in high school was when her drinking took off. My brother was an alcoholic by the time I was, I was a senior in high school. So I was still still living at home. He was two years older than me. So he was a major alcoholic. So I always knew like we would go to family parties with our cousins and they were just all a little bit more emotionally mature. Just they, they had it a little bit more together than we did. So I always knew it was kind of from my mom's side. My mom had really low self-esteem. I knew that from like a young age, I just could sense it. Not that I could put that into words. So yeah, I just remember being at family parties, like into my like early teenage years and being like, yeah, we're kind of fucked up compared to them. And I could just feel that it was from my mom's side. But now that I'm covering things, I really can see the dysfunction on my dad's side as well. So yeah. And so prior to finding the podcast, What had your journey of like healing looked like? I mean, you mentioned to me before we started officially recording that you had gone to AA, but had you gone to therapy or what did you think your issues were? Yeah. So January, 2017, I I went into outpatient rehab. And when I went in for my evaluation, she asked me, have you ever been sexually assaulted? And I just said, yes. And it was just like a instant reaction. So anyway, at that point, In that evaluation, I remembered being raped two times and I blocked that out of my memory. It was like, it had been a a few years ago. So I got into rehab and I was just totally fascinated that my mind was able to block that out because it was always kind of on the peripheral of my awareness. Like if I really thought about it, it was kind of hanging out there. So that really fascinated me. And I just, I loved rehab. Like I needed it so bad. I had never, you know, shown myself any love before. No, you know, for my parents, I didn't get any love. So starting to take care of myself, I really just dived deep into it. I got a therapist. I did AA for six months and left AA after six months. And I loved AA. But yeah, as we were kind of talking about, I just, I think it was some of my issues with just being too harsh and critical of people, but also I just felt like it just wasn't my thing. So, uh, yeah. So then after that, after leaving AA, I was going to therapy. I found a therapist I loved. I really got into mysticism and awakening your consciousness. And I was really, I was focused on the outer world more of what was wrong with the world and less about my own issues. So when I left AA, I kind of went back to my old friends, never wanted to drink again. That wasn't an issue, but I didn't have any tools to really succeed. I had my therapist, which was really helping me a lot, but I was working for my family at the time too. So I was with my dad and my brother. I didn't have any coworkers really. So kind of isolating myself, but I loved therapy. I loved just figuring out how the psyche works And I really just dove deep into that. So yeah, I've always just, once I got started on it, I just really kept moving forward on that path of just healing myself. 
Did your brother get sober? Yes. My brother's been sober for like over 10 years. That's amazing. And so like through his recovery, and then I don't know if like your mom ever sought treatment or anything, but had you been exposed to like, did you ever do like any family groups or were you very aware of like the family disease of alcoholism? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I knew it ran in my family. Um, I was an alcoholic and then seeing how my mom became an alcoholic, but there was no Al-Anon. I didn't have the broader sense of how the system of my family was functioning. That was like the missing piece that just was still wouldn't click. And it was just ruining my life, basically. Mm -hmm. So let's let's go back to your childhood. So I mean, you talked about just shaming and criticizing. Is there like a particular scene or memory that you feel like paints the picture well? Yeah, I mean, there's like a couple. I remember I really loved dolphins when I was little and I wanted to be a marine biologist. Me too. And this memory just actually surfaced up recently. And I remember being at the library with my mom. She would always take us to the library. And I, I loved that. And I got a bunch of, you know, dolphin movies and books. And I told her I want to be a marine biologist. And she said, oh, well, you're not good at science. So that's not going to work out. So it's just kind of like little things like that all the time. My dad would like tease us a lot. He, my dad's a really big guy, really big guy. He was a, a football player and he would just be really rough with us, you know, just like grabbing our arms really hard and pulling us, you know, come on, let's go, that kind of thing. Holidays were a big thing with my mom. We would have people over at our house every other year for Christmas. It would switch off with my aunt's house and I hated it. She would go insane and scream at us and get like these wide bug eyes. And we were all helping her. Like I would vacuum, my brother would do this, that, and she would just reach this breaking point. And it would always be like two hours before everybody came over. But I remember that happening one Christmas and just being so pissed off, just like really just being like, you know, fuck you, like thinking that in my head. And I was like, probably. And then we all got in the minivan, me, my dad, my sister, and myself my mom was still at home we were like going to get some ice at the store and my dad just defended her he was like you know she gets really stressed out around the holidays and I just remember thinking like fuck both of you like you know and then like having to put on a happy face for when all the cousins and aunts and uncles come over so there was there was a lot of that going on and my sister was diabetic so she was four years older than me are you the youngest and she got diagnosed when she was 10 and I was six. And my mom just focused in on my sister and just just berated her all the time about what mm -hmm. she was, what she was eating, what she was doing. And I remember trying to fall asleep one night as I don't know, I was maybe fifth grade. And my mom would just scream at her. They would just get in these screaming matches. And I remember just screaming down the stairs because I would sleep upstairs and they were downstairs. I remember just being like, shut up. Would you stop yelling at her? So yeah, there was a lot of yelling going on and yeah, just nobody was ever nice to each other, basically. What was your relationship like with your siblings? I mean, we had these neighbors that lived next to us. And so all of us kids would always play together. And then my, there was like a group that of friends that my parents had and all of us would play together, I remember, but there was not a lot of closeness and we are not close to this day. And it's, that's like a, a big pain for me that like, I want to fix that, you know, like I like my siblings, but there's just this like wedge between us. 
So yeah, I feel like there's some sibling rivalry that was kind of just set up by the the system of the family. Is your brother active in 12 Steps? No, he did the same. He had a sponsor. He started working the steps and then he left the program within two years or something. Have you been able to talk to him at all about this stuff since you've started doing the adult child stuff? No. When I had my daughter, I did kind of bring up to them like how I was I was seeing how the way we were parented really had a negative effect on me. And this is before I found ACA stuff. And I was telling my brother and his wife and my brother did kind of get it because he like he didn't see any fault in my dad. But he was like, yeah, I could see how, you know, the way mom treated Laura was really horrible. Like we all agree that my mom treated my sister terribly. And that she she's just not a nurturing person. She's very cold. So he did kind of get that a little bit, but I just he the way he parents his kids, it's like the progression is getting worse. So like I just feel like he's too far gone. Do they live near you? Yes. And then what about your sister? She there too? She lives in Texas. She was 18 years old. She left for college and never came back. And I don't blame her. Mm. Yeah, it's so sad. I mean, I don't have siblings, but I just can't, I don't know, especially like if you've all gone through the experience together, it's kind of like what uh, Denise was sharing about just like how, you know, as siblings, they made a pact to like really stick together and how that hasn't panned out. What about, so how did your mother's alcoholism impact you like when you were in high school? So I was drinking heavily in high school. So that's when I started. So I kind of liked it because... I would come home drunk and my mom would be drunk. And so she wouldn't know that I was drunk. So I saw it as like to my benefit for me to be able to continue my addiction. And then when I was 21 and old enough to drink, me and my mom would drink and watch Real Housewives together. And I mean, like we'd get drunk, like we'd drink a couple bottles of wine. I mean, we started with, you know, OC, New York. Are you still a watcher? I don't watch it anymore. No, she does though. So then is your mom sober? No, no. She is a functioning alcoholic. She starts drinking around four o'clock each day. Mm -hmm. And there's been like times within the last few years where it's like embarrassing at like holidays and stuff where she drinks too much. When I came home to surprise them that I was pregnant, it was like at a family party and she was wasted. So yeah, yeah, that's where she's at. But it's not, you know, like severe health issues or anything. Is she like a fall down drunk? What kind of drunk is she? No, she just starts drinking her wine and she usually has like a a bottle, like a bottle and a half a night and she just goes to watch TV and stuff. But yeah, and there's like back when I was in high school, my parents, there was a lot of binge drinking going on with like them and their friends. Like they would have their friends over, they would go like on trips with their friends and there was just like binge drinking going on. So I mean, that's settled down because they're like, you know, almost in their 70s now. But yeah, she hasn't really had any health problems yet, but I like they're going to hit. My grandma died of pancreatic cancer. And just like when you look at like the significance of that organ, that's a lot of low self-esteem, a lot of shame. So you said the pancreas. Yeah, I think it like with the health stuff, too, I feel like it hits at a certain point and just goes like down. Has she ever sought treatment? No. Does she know that she has a problem? I mean, she's in very much denial about it. I remember, yes. So my dad, I remember when I was was still living with them when I was in high school and in my early 20s, my dad would give her a little bit of shit about it sometimes and be like, this 
for a while, like she would switch to vodka and then she would pull it back and switch back to wine. But like the, the vodka would just be like empty. Like it would be empty really quick. And my dad would be like, you drank all this already. But that was like the extent of it. So what's their dynamics like really fucked up? Yeah. I mean, just very, just cold and unloving. They live together. They retired to like a a retirement community that has like a golf course. Like it's very nice, but you know, my dad made a lot of money and that's where they retired to. And they live like a half an hour away from me. So they keep themselves busy. They have their golf league, they're volunteering. They go on a lot of trips. They travel. They get along. They, yeah, they bicker a lot. You know, they're not very nice to each other. Yeah. They're married and they're, you know, retired and enjoying retirement. But my dad's, as soon as my dad retired, his health completely declined. He was a workaholic. So now he has prostate cancer Mm. and that uh, we just found that out recently. And that's just, I mean, his health has just gone completely downhill since he left work because that was his whole identity. Mm. what's his prognosis so they removed the prostate and now they're doing like i think it's like thermal radiation so it's not as it doesn't less there's less severe symptoms yeah so he he went to mayo and got it treated right away they they caught it pretty quickly so we're just gonna kind of he he goes back every three months to get retested so so far so good pet scans Mm -hmm. so then tell me about the progression of your drinking So I started drinking when I was 14, drinking, smoking weed. I'm just, there was a group of us girls who were all friends and we were all just shit shows. You know, we were just these lost boys. We used to do Friday night fight nights at the park. We'd get wasted and we'd, we'd beat each other up. So yeah, I mean, we were really fucked up. I got a DUI when I was 17 and then 19 My dad, you know, took care of all that for me. I lost my license for three years and then I went away to school for two years. I went to Southern Illinois and my drinking just really heavily progressed there. Um, Just always blacking out, lots of beer bongs, lots of just lots of hard alcohol. And then when I was like around like 27, 28, 29, I lived with uh, a roommate and me and her just drank vodka all the time. And I remember trying to stop one time and I couldn't. And I I didn't really think about it too much then. And then I remember I moved back home with my parents and I was really depressed because I felt like I was like a failure for having to live back home. And I was really drinking heavily there. And I remember going in like my closet and there were all these empty bottles. And I was like, oh shit. Because I remember when my brother was an alcoholic finding all of his empty bottles. So it took me from that point, it took me about another year and a half to hit that bottom. And the bottom was I I was working for my dad at the time. We traveled a lot and it was, I was going to Florida. I had a flight to Florida. I had to go do a presentation and deliver a bunch of medical equipment to medical students. And I missed the flight and I had just this massive panic attack. And my dad was like, just go get on the next flight, go to the hotel it's okay that you're late. Just call them. You'll go the next day. And I couldn't leave the hotel room. And I was like, just sweating profusely. I just felt like I was dying. And like the anxiety was so bad. And it had been like that, like the physical part was really starting to catch up with me those last few months. I was taking daily drinker, daily drinker. Yep. Sometimes I would start as early as 11am. Definitely on the weekends, I would start at 11am. 
And then I was taking like Xanax too. I was taking Vicodin and I had this boyfriend at the time. And I mean, I just remember we went to Thanksgiving at his family's house and I was so fucked up. I think I was on antidepressants and drinking and on Xanax. And like, I had a mental break on the way home. Like, I don't even remember what happened. It was just like a lot of screaming. I I was out of my mind. And I remember walking my dog one night and just hitting the pavement. And yeah, so it was getting really bad. So when I got back from that trip from Florida, my family kind of had an intervention with me and it took me about a week later to get into treatment. Do you remember the moment where you're like, I can't do this anymore? Yeah. There was a couple of times like leading up to that. Yeah. Where just like when I would drink and I couldn't get that satisfaction anymore. And it was so frustrating. Like when I couldn't get drunk, you know, and I was just like, this isn't working like that. There's, there's no good end to this, you know? So yeah, there was definitely a few times like that. Well, let's talk about the relationship stuff because I know you've had a good go with it too. Yeah. So I was very promiscuous, very sexually active from the time I was 16. So, I mean, I was just seeking love in all the wrong places from people I didn't like. There was some good good ones along the way. But my first relationship was with a guy I met the beginning of the summer. There was this party house. This kid had inherited this house from his grandma. And we partied there all summer long. And I met my boyfriend there. And then I left to go off to college three months later. And now I'm seeing like the abandonment wounds that were coming up. Because after we first met, I went to Italy with my mom and my brother. And my friend was like, you should have seen how much he missed you. Like, oh my God. And he was like trying to get a hold of me through like, you know, email. And I was like, I did email him once from an internet cafe and my friend was like, he was so happy to get that email. And now I'm seeing that that was like an abandonment wound, kind of like him. So we were going off to college or I was going off to college. He was a few years older than me and he was back in my hometown and he wanted to stay together. And I was like, no, I want to break up, but I decided to stay with him. And then when I got to college, he came to visit me and I, he told me that he loved me and I said, thank you. Because I thought it was too, I didn't know that like people, like the normal thing was like to say, I love you after a few months of being together. I thought that that was like way too soon. I thought people said, I love you two, three years in. So that was kind of like, that really pissed him off, but we stayed together. It was a tumultuous relationship from that point on for, (laughs) for like three years. It was awful. It was on again, off again, on again, off again. And I remember like one of the times we broke up, Now I can see that it was the abandonment wound thing. He had the really loud car and I would just sit and smoke cigarettes outside and just wait to hear the sound of that car. Like imagining that he was going to come back and be like, oh, I changed my mind. Let's go off and get married. You know, like that's what I was thinking in my head. So yeah, that was the tough one. So then after that, just a lot of sleeping around, a lot of blackout hookups. And then, then I went through this phase. Oh, then I, then there was the heroin addict who died the night I broke up with him. Oh. I just started dating him. And that was like really tough. That was, OD. yeah, he OD'd. He was like, we'd only been together for three weeks and I knew that something was going on. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And then the next morning I thought it was him calling me and I'm like, yes, he wants to, he's begging for me back. And it was his mom that he had OD'd. 
So then after that, then I was on the three month hump streak where I would date a guy for three months and break up with him. I mean, for four years, this, this was going on and I knew something was wrong with me. Like I knew there was something wrong. And that's why I was like, I'm just not going to get in a serious relationship because I knew I was attracting dysfunctional people. And I didn't know why, but I knew that. So that's why I would date someone for three months and then I break up and then I'd be happy to be single. And I loved being single and all my friends had serious boyfriends. And, and I was just, I was fine with that for a while until I wasn't because then it got to be a really lonely place. Everyone was starting to get married. I wanted to do the same. And I just knew it wasn't going to happen for me because I just knew something was wrong. And then, then I got sober and, you know, all the sleeping around stopped at that point. And then I reconnected with a guy. His name was Nick. I met him in Chicago when I had been drinking. We hooked up and I really liked him. I really, really liked him. And then we kind of didn't talk to each other for a while. He lived in Los Angeles. And when I met him the first time, I was going to go out and see him in LA and he canceled the trip last minute. And I was really upset about that. And then I didn't really hear from him. So after I'd been sober for like a year and a half, I went out to see a friend in LA and I'd started talking to him again. So that was like my first relationship since being sober. And he came over to my friend's house. We hooked up right away. And then, then I remember like literally shaking, like the next day he had left and like, I knew there was something not right. And I remember just like, I, I was so anxious. So that was in October. He came out to visit me in December, like right around Christmas and then he told me after that, and then I thought we were like getting married. I thought, this is it. This is the guy. He told me that he had a girlfriend and that he didn't tell her that he came out to see me or something like that. And I was just like, well, you know, and I just didn't text him after that, you know, but I was like, man, what the fuck? So then I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to be alone for a while. So then I moved to Texas and just completely just couldn't get it together. I'd had some, some success with working on myself after getting sober. I went on this retreat to Peru. It was like the most beautiful trip I'd ever been on. There was no like ayahuasca or anything. It was a really beautiful trip with these, they're called Pacos. They're like shamans and they're like, they live so from the heart. And so I quit my job with my family moved to Texas with no plan, no job, moved in with my sister, who's an alcoholic and her narcissistic husband. And I was just like miserable. I was so depressed. Like I thought that this was like that trip to Peru is going to be my launching point. So I lived with my sister for way longer than both of us wanted to. I finally found a job and I was going to these like networking events for my job. And I met a guy named Nick, another Nick. And I didn't like him. Like I didn't like his vibe. He was shorter than me. I don't like dating guys shorter than me. How tall are you? I'm five, eight. And so he gave me his number and I wasn't going to hit him up. And I didn't. And then I was like, I didn't go on Facebook at that time very much. And so like a few weeks later, I saw he messaged me on Facebook. And so I, I messaged him and I was so lonely at that point. Like I was so isolated and so alone. So I went to go meet up with him. And I was like, okay, do not sleep with him. Okay. Go on three dates at least before you sleep with him. That was my, my rule at the time. So I waited for three dates to sleep with him. And I think the second time we slept together, I got pregnant. Mm -hmm. He turned out to be an alcoholic narcissist and we 
I didn't want to keep the baby. I was just like, I didn't want to do it. I I've always wanted to be a mom, but this was not how I wanted to, to happen. I could see he had a drinking problem. I knew that I was still fucked up. Like, you know, and he was just like crying and begging me to have the, he's like, this is all I've wanted all my life. Like, this is going to change me. This is going to make me be the person I want to be. And I remember thinking like, that's not a reason like to have a baby, you know? But so I was really gung ho about not having the baby. And then I remember I went and I took a shower and I was like, well, what if I did have the baby? Mm-hmm. And like, I just felt like this feeling in my heart just open up. And I just felt like this huge energy burst out of my heart. So I was like, I'm keeping the baby. When it turned out it was a girl, like I, I would have been fine with a girl or a boy, but just the fact that it was a girl and like, if he did leave, like it, you know, just a mom and a girl, that kind of relationship. So yeah, so, so that was the, my two Nicks and that was it. I, I haven't dated anybody since then. I did a little bit of online dating, you know, when my daughter was like a year and a half and I went on two dates and it was the same thing. Like I'm still attracting the same person. So I was like, I need to fix me. That's what the issue is. So yeah. So not lucky in love. I've never been lucky in love at all. Yeah. Well, you're kind of like, you're obviously disorganized Mm -hmm. attacher because you have both avoidant and anxious traits. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I think it takes a long time Good start. Yeah. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Like when I first had my daughter, I just was like praying for some guy to come along, marry me, you know, take care of me. You know, it was still that fantasy. And I really was like really gung ho on that. And, you know, now that I've, you know, come out of the denial and come to my senses, I'm okay with like, you know, you always hear you have to love yourself first. And Like, I understand now that that's going to be a long road because like I had no tools to know how to love myself. Yeah. I think it's like kind of what you're saying is like you dip your toe in the pond, you know, because I think we just have to keep, you know, checking back in. And because also too, like I've said often, it's not going to be like, we're all better. You know what I mean? When we start to date, we're going to have more stuff that we're going to have to like walk through with that. You know, it's going to be hard. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of discomfort in dating. And that's the other thing I realized too. Like if, if, and when I am ready to date there, yeah, it's going to be really uncomfortable to begin with. It's hard, but mm-hmm. at least for me, it's at least I know what's going on. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Coming across this information was just, it was like when I found, when I could admit to myself, I was an alcoholic, that relief that came with it. It, it was the same relief that I felt with the ACA stuff. Yeah. So what do you think the like the strongest limiting belief is that you deal with? That I'm not worthy. Does that show up at work too? Yep. Shows up. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. It shows up a lot. Like I'm not worthy of being successful. And so that's, I have a lot of financial issues and that's been prevalent for a long time. And I realized that I was like, I finally realized that I just feel like I'm not worthy of having a, a successful life basically. Big component of that is obviously having financial stability. Yeah. I feel you. It's really fucking hard. It is. Yeah. And especially when like everything costs so fucking much these days too, you know? But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. Yeah. And that was the big thing. I heard Tiffany on your show talking about money. I knew that the money had something to do with me and my relationship with my dad and I couldn't 
Tiffany put it into words for me and I was just like, oh, like that's what it is. But that's another thing. I feel like that's going to be a long road for me too, to, to figure all that shit out. And, you know, people are saving for their retirement. Like I have none of that. Tell me where you've seen some growth from yourself. I've really seen my nervous system calm down. I was getting so triggered by my daughter. I moved back home when my daughter was two. So that's like when her big emotions started coming out. And I moved back like the first month I was home. I don't have any memory from it from when I moved back home because I was staying with my parents. So I think and the the whole pregnancy, basically my daughter's three. And so since I got pregnant with her, I have been in a completely triggered state and it just it got so bad. It was so bad. I was so on edge. If a dog would bark, I would jump up. So now like I'm, I'm taking supplements, like I'm taking magnesium, ashwagandha. I've been taking those like on a really regular basis, doing things, more movement, somatic kind of movements and just vagus nerve exercises. And like, there's days where I'm like, I don't even like really get triggered by my daughter, like by things that I used to. So that's been a big thing. Talk about parenting a little bit. Mm, Yeah. So I knew when I was pregnant with my daughter, I knew that it was going to be hard. I knew that there was shit that was going to come up, but I didn't know the extent to it. I'm like not a violent person, but I turned into a violent person and I turned the violence towards myself and my daughter. And the shame that came with it was really, really difficult. And I isolated myself. It was very isolating, you know, having her write it during COVID, not being around anybody, being in a new place. Yeah. And you were in Texas still, right? Yeah. So I think that a lot of people experienced that during COVID, anybody that had a baby. And you were a single parent. Yeah. But I knew that like my daughter was triggering stuff within me, but I couldn't, I heard those words that, you know, she's triggering stuff from my childhood, but I really had to start feeling it and really had to experience that where I felt that flashback and I could go back to being that little me. And then once that happened and I started doing that more and more, things really started to change. But it's so hard because like with, you know, how you can just catastrophize things. So there's always that feeling of I'm completely fucking her up. And my thinking was so distorted since the time I had her. I just went into this really terrible place. It was just victim mode and it was just helpless, isolated. But at the same time, it was like the best time. Like I love being a mom and I loved, you know, rocking that baby in my arms. And like from the beginning, I, you know, I found Dr. Shafali's book, the, uh, I think awakened family and conscious parenting. So from the beginning, I had an attachment style with her, you know, we slept together. She nursed for two years. And when everybody told me that you shouldn't do that, you know? So like, I was really proud of myself for not having any self-confidence or like any sense of self. I knew that that's what I wanted to stick with. And I did, and I got so much shit for it. And I'm so glad that I did because we do have this really strong attachment. So like, that's really cool to see that like my mom was not nurturing at all. So I love being able to nurture my daughter. And the biggest thing with me with having her was learning self-care. I wasn't taking care of myself. And then I just, the rage would come out. I was so tired. My health had declined. Yeah. It was the darkest place I'd been in the darkest and the lightest at the same time, which I think is so beautiful. The dichotomy of that. 
just how, you know, we live in such a dualistic world where it's black, white, you know. So I wish I could take back all the shit that I did to my daughter, all the abuse. There was a lot of rage, a lot of screaming, a lot of being rough with her, like how my dad was rough with me. And Mm. I that like I hate when I do that I hate it so much and then I would go into then I would apologize to her and I would like start just sobbing crying in front of her and I couldn't control my emotions that's scary for a two-year-old that's awful so yes there's been a lot of damage done but I also really am starting to appreciate all the good that I've done and you know you can't come out of this trauma and then just magically just raise your kids perfectly I mean nobody raises their kids perfectly but You know, I had this expectation that I did have an awareness that I wanted to parent her differently, that I would just do it. And that was, you know, so unrealistic. So now that I can see things in a more realistic way, I'm really appreciative of the light and the dark of it all. Did you hear my episode with her name is Robin? I think it's like Goebbels or something, but it was all about the neuroplasticity for kids. And so like, that's what she does and the shame, toxic shame. I don't think I have. So I'll definitely listen to that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. And her stuff is really good. But it's like, yeah, it's talking about how do we course correct. And she's so young, you know, like you have so much opportunity yeah. to like really, you know, reverse things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my thinking had been so dysfunctioned. I was like, okay, if you can just stop doing this by next year, you won't <laughs> fuck her up. And I kept doing that. I'm like, okay. And then it would like a year had passed. I'm like, well, if you can stop doing this in six months, you won't fuck her up. And I knew about neuroplasticity, but yeah. So yeah, the neuroplasticity about the brain is really cool. And, and so knowing that and knowing that like, I can just override that stuff for her and I can see it too. Like I came out of such a dark place and it was, you know, it took some time for her to trust me again. And now that trust is built back up and, you know, she's so confident and silly and like we laugh together and like, that's what I love that I can be like silly with her. Like I'm always like a lot of times I get way too serious. That's like something that I'm working on. And so like, I get the opportunity to be silly with her, to just be in the moment with her. And those are some of the greatest gifts That's amazing. Her book isn't out yet, but it's called Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, Brain Body Sensory Strategies That Really Work. So yeah, she does have, my daughter does have a lot of baffling behaviors. I mean, as most three-year-olds do, but yep, I'm adding that to my reading list. Thank you. No, it's not out yet. Oh, okay. Give me three things that you like about yourself. So I'm like a little bit psychic and like really intuitive. So I like just we'll have like these random psychic moments. So I like that. That's kind of cool. I like that I'm a really good cook and a good baker too. I can make like a good cheesecake or like a good pie. And I can have a very unassuming sense of humor sometimes. I surprise people like I'll just come out of nowhere with some sarcastic joke and it, it lands perfectly. I like it. Wit, wit, look on your feet. Okay. Hope or dream. Hope or a dream is to have a farm. Yep. What do you want? Animals or, or, and why? What's the, uh, I just want to be more like self-sustainable and just kind of get back to basics. And I would just love for that to be my job to wake up, you know, have my property to take care of my animals. I'd like to have just a variety of vegetables and then fruit trees and then like some, you know, ducks and goats and like a pig yeah, and chickens. Well, if you don't get one before I get one. Okay. You got it. 
Well, this has been really, really great. You really, you, your shares have touched a lot of people in the, in the group. And it's pretty amazing how quickly you were able to like, just really get really raw. Yeah. I went raw right off the bat, but like I had to go somewhere and like, I had had that experience in AA. I knew it was going to, I knew it was exactly what I needed. And I just felt right off the bat that it was such a safe space for me to do that. And everybody could understand what I was going through and what had judged me. So yeah, I was really raw off the bat. And then I kind of backed off for a couple of weeks because I'm like, man, I kind of hit it hard. Just realizing like, why the fuck don't I ask in every one of these episodes to like what y'all are getting out of it? It's like such a good sales pitch. I don't know why the <laughs> fuck I don't, I don't ever ask that. So I'll start now. So what is, you know, what has been the biggest, I don't know, takeaway or benefit of being in yeah. this community? So I did go to a couple in-person ACA meetings and there's definitely a different vibe to the shit show meetings. So I like that. It's just a little bit more casual, a little more personal. Yeah. Yeah. And I look forward to it every, every time I'm able to get on and I'm like now starting to get more involved in like the chats and like the posting online and stuff like that. So at first I was like hesitant about that just because I'm like shy about that kind of thing. I don't know. But I really like that. Like it's really gotten me out of my shell again. I'd been just so in my shell before. And it's just a really great group of people. It really is. All right, my dear. Great. Thank you.